page 995, if you've got your Bibles open. Okay, let's read. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb therefore they are before the throne of god and serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence never again will they hunger never again will they thirst the sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Thanks, Kim. I have a friend down the south coast in Aladulla and whenever I visit him, he loves to show me at the surfboards in his garage. He's got this big rack of surfboards and we do it every time where he'll, one by one, take the boards off the rack and he'll he'll hand them out to me and he will tell me his best memories of surfing that board. Or he'll point out the parts of that board that he loves the most. And last time, he got to the last board on the rack and he didn't hand it to me, he just held it. And he said, no, Tim, this one is really precious. And and you didn't need to know anything about surfing. It was a really nice board. So I asked him, I said, what's what's it like to surf this one? And he looked at me, I looked at him, and he said, well, I don't know, I never surfed it. (laughs) He he told me that he was worried that if you put it in the water, it might get damaged. (laughs) And, And I remember thinking as he told me that, what a sad, strange mistake to make. And it's a, it's a sad mistake, it's a strange mistake, because that board had always been shaped, the, the person who had shaped it had made it for a purpose. Like those rails had been hand-shaped for the open face of a wave, and the fins had been carefully designed to slice through water, but it's, it's just gathering dust in the corner of his garage. It's no longer being used for what it was intended for. I wonder if we make the same mistake with the church. Like, we, we know the church is precious, we know it's valuable, but we forget that it was made for a purpose. I wonder if we make the same mistake 
with the church? Do we make the same mistake with the church? We can only answer that question if, well, first we know what the purpose of the church is. Like, if we want to know what something was made for, it's just common sense, isn't it, to ask the person that it was made by. And so our first question tonight, it's a very simple question, and it's this, what is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the church? If we're going to... Uh, think that through we need to ask God. Why? Because, well, who made the church? He did. God made the church. He's the maker and the shaper. It was His idea in the first place. He paid for it. He's building it and guarding it and protecting it right now. It's all His. And so only God gets to tell us the purpose of, well, of God's church. In Revelation 7 that we just had read out, it doesn't just tell us the purpose of God's church. Now here, it's like God pulls back the curtain or he, he wrenches open the heavens and He shows us the purpose of the church. That's what's happening here. He shows us the true purpose of the church and so we're going to look together and see what God wants to show us tonight about His church. But why should we care? Why, why, why should we care? Isn't it enough that we've all turned up here tonight? Well, the Hanleys care, because they've just brought Eloise to be baptised into the church. And if we said that we would welcome her in, then we should care, because well, what are we welcoming Eloise into? Why do we need to nail this down and work it out? Well, to forget the purpose of something like my friend with the surfboard. That's a sad and a strange mistake if it's something small. And the surfboard, it's just a lump of very pretty foam, isn't it? But what if we were to make that same mistake with something that wasn't small? Something that, that, that's just not insignificant. What if that thing actually belonged to the living God? And what if that thing really mattered to God? And what if that thing, what if we learnt that God had spilled His own blood to get that thing? What if that thing was right at the centre of God's plans for the world? What if that thing, if God had told us that He will hold people to account eternally for what they thought about that thing? I was listening... That's exactly how it is with God's church. Redefining God's purpose for God's church. That's not just sad and strange. That is unexplainably tragic. And it's, it's personally just really dangerous. And so let's look now together at Revelation 7. Let's see what God wants to show us here. So please do keep your Bibles open. We start in verse 9. We're just going to get our bearings for a moment. We see in verse 9, the first thing we see is that there's this multitude. There is this enormous gathering. In verse 10, what are they doing? They are they're glorifying God. They're crying out. They're singing and they're praising. And who are they praising? God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then in verse 11, we, we read that there are these heavenly beings who are looking in on this. They hear this and what do they do? What's their response? Well, they agree. They give it this big yes and amen and they join in in glorifying God. And so, 
what we're seeing here, we're seeing the true purpose of the church. Purpose is to glorify God. The purpose of the church is to glorify God. And tonight, as we move through from verse 9 through to 17, we see at least three ways that the church glorifies God, how they do it. So what are they? What are, the, what are these three ways? Uh, number one, we see it's that it's the diversity of the church that glorifies God. It's the diversity of the church that glorifies God. I'm looking at the, the first part of verse 9, that John, he sees the diversity of God's people. It says that he sees every nation and tribe and tongue and language are all there. Like that, that John can even notice that all those different people are there. It, it shows us that diversity, it's on display. It's on display here. So what we're, what we're learning here is that this church of heaven, it's not like this cosmic sausage machine where no matter where we've come from or whatever, we're just ground down and remade into these sort of heavenly frankfurts. It's not like that. It's not like that because diversity, oh no, sorry, because God has reached into every culture through all of history in every place and he's made a people for himself. So here John sees that there are some distinctions that remain, that diversity is on display and so diversity of this kind, it's not a threat to the church. It is a feature of the church eternally. This diversity, it's on display to the glory of God because the diversity of the church, it glorifies God. So what on earth, literally on earth here, what would it look like at Bulli Anglican Church for it to be here as it is in heaven in this way? What, what would that look like for diversity to not be a threat, but a feature of this church, for diversity to be on display to the glory of God? It means that we must, we must think unnaturally about our differences. We must think unnaturally about our differences. And what, what I mean is this, that it, it is so normal... And it is so natural for us to embrace people who just look like us. I wonder if, if, if maybe you too, you find it easier to just hang around with people who are at the same age and stage as you. The same language and cultural background, maybe. The same family structure, the same interests and hobbies the same sort of jobs or careers, the same level of emotional awareness or conversational ability or sense of humour or whatever it is, it just comes naturally to us. It's so normal. It makes us feel comfortable. And that's, that's also what the rest of the world does. It's what the rest of the world does. They embrace those who think like them, act like them, speak like them and exclude those who think differently or act differently or speak differently. That's the way of the world. But the purpose of the church is to glorify God. How? The diversity of the church glorifies God. And so diversity, it's not a threat, it's a feature. 
And so if you have found in your life that you struggle to know where you fit in, where you could fit in or where you would fit in, or if your cultural background has ever pushed you to the fringe, or if you've just moved so many times in your life that you don't quite know where home is anymore, or if you have additional challenges like physical disability or poor mental health or a traumatic background, that just means that connecting and committing to a group of people is just especially hard. This church has room for you. This church has room for you and God has this wonderful habit, and we see it all through the scriptures, where he turns strangers into family. And so our differences, they're not a threat to this church, they're a feature of this church. There are God-glorifying, God-intended, grace-enabled feature. So imagine for a moment, imagine a church, a church family that looked so diverse in age and stage and demographics and nationality that it just naturally required an explanation as to what was going on. Imagine as Eloise grew up in this church, it was just normal, just profoundly but radically normal for that to be the case here. Wouldn't that just be glorious, that the diversity of this church would glorify God? But what else? What else do we see? How else does this church of heaven glorify God? Well, secondly, we see that it's the unity of the church that glorifies God. So yes, although John has first noticed those differences, they're now eclipsed by something stronger, something greater is happening here. Look at the back of verse 9. Now, this church, they stand around the same thing, they all wear the same thing, they're all holding the same thing, but I actually think it's, it's most clear in verse 10. They all cry out, they all sing, they all profess the same thing. What do they say? They say, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So they express their unity by professing gospel truth. They express their unity by professing gospel truth and God gets the glory. So have a think, in our world today, an event comes to mind where we see the sort of greatest picture of international unity and cooperation. Someone shout it out. What do you think? The Olympics. Thank you, Lee. The Olympics. Think of the opening ceremony, that moment of the opening ceremony. It can be so moving to watch. It's watched all around the world as all the nations come out. But just notice that even there, every nation comes out singing their own song, singing the song of their own country and dressed in the national dress of their own nation. And they're unified, but unified for the purpose of competing for the glory of their country, but not so in the church of heaven. Not so. Because their unity is expressed by a common voice. There's one song. There is one testimony to God's salvation. So again, what would it look like for it to be at Bulli Anglican Church as it is in heaven in this way, in terms of unity? Well, it, it means that we must speak and sing 
and profess the gospel on repeat. It's on repeat here. We're, we never get past the gospel. We never become so mature as Christians that we somehow get promoted to a deeper spiritual truth. That doesn't happen. Or, or we don't get bored with the, with the gospel and drift into some other message and start talking all about that. And we don't seek our own personal glory now. No. No, no, no. We never get past speaking. We keep the gospel on repeat because that's how we express our unity as God's people. There are some friendships, some families, maybe you have friends or family like this, where there's a type of unity, like the appearance of unity that can be formed by not talking about certain things. But it's like a, a thin unity that you can't really stand on properly. Maybe this is true for you. There are things that you know you can't talk about, like, like you don't speak with these people about the vaccine. Don't mention the vaccine. It's going to cause problems. Or you don't speak about who you voted for. No deal. Or you don't talk about your footy team. Because, and if you do that, you don't say those things, you can create this sort of thin unity. And sometimes that's how a thin unity is created in the world. But not so in God's church. Not so in God's church because our unity is expressed by what we do say in our professing and speaking and singing of the gospel. And so here, the gospel, it's on repeat in our own lives and as we engage and speak with one another, the gospel is on repeat as we talk and around our dinner table, in our homes, in the homes of each other, the gospel is on repeat. And as we just go about our lives here in the northern Illawarra, the gospel is on repeat because the unity of the church, it glorifies God and we express our unity by keeping the gospel on repeat. Imagine a church family that was so united in their message about Jesus that it, it required further explanation to anyone that walked in, that the gospel was so on repeat that it would just strike whoever encountered us. Wouldn't that be just a glorious thing? So God is glorified in the diversity of the church, in the unity of the church, but there's a third way that we see that, that's on show here. What else? Well, verse 14, we learn that this church of heaven, this church of heaven has come out of the great tribulation. It has come out of the suffering that it faced while on earth. So this church, that while they shared in the sufferings of Christ on earth, now... In heaven, they share in the glory of Christ. And we get this incredible set of things that they've been washed, that they've been cleansed in the blood of Jesus, that they're with the King, that they're in the presence of Jesus, that they are sheltered and safe by the provision of Jesus, and even that their tears have been wiped away by the very hand of Jesus. So what this is showing us is that it's the faithful suffering of the church that glorifies God. Faithful suffering of the church that glorifies God. Tell me, uh, what do you think is more glorious in a tennis match, in a Grand Slam tournament, that, that you've made your way through the Grand Slam tournament and you haven't, and you win it, and you didn't lose a single point 
through any game the whole time. In fact, you didn't even break a sweat the whole time. <laughs> or is it more glorious to win the Grand Slam after surviving multiple match points? to have wrestled with injury the whole way through, to have come back from the point where it looked like all hope was lost, or victory and triumph, it is more glorious when you've known suffering and struggle. And so this church in heaven that we see, it is more glorious for what it endured on earth. This is like the ultimate underdog story, the ultimate vindication, upset result. We see that the church that was troubled on earth, it is triumphant in heaven. The faithful suffering of the church glorifies God. So what would it look like, again, here at back, Belanglin Church, for it to be as it is in heaven in this way? Imagine a church family that didn't run or bail or dissolve in the face of suffering for the name of Jesus. Imagine a church family that held on to Jesus through all the bumps and scrapes of life. A church that helped one another hold on to Jesus as he held on to them. Praise God that this church, it is littered with so many stories of people doing just that. And I want you to imagine that we keep doing that for as many days or as years or decades that God has us here. And I want you to picture what it would be like to stand around the throne in the new creation and to see someone from this church here. Imagine that day. Imagine seeing Eloise there. How glorious would that be, seeing them there? Wouldn't that just be so glorious that, that the, the faithful suffering of earth, that, that, that our church would glorify God in that. So let's zoom, zoom out for a moment. We're going to recap. Uh, what is the purpose of the church? All together now, shout it out. What was the purpose of the church? To glorify God, yes. Uh, three ways the church glorifies God. Number one, the... Yes. Number two, the... Oh, this is good. Number three, the... Faithful suffering. Very good. So if that's, if that's what's happening in the church in heaven, that's what we're being shown here, and almost every week here we pray that it would be here on earth as it is in heaven, why is it that so much of the time our experience of church doesn't look like the church of heaven? Why is there a... It feels like there's just a gap there sometimes. Why is it that diversity can divide people? How is it that unity can be so hard to hang on to sometimes? How is it possible that some of our suffering could even be caused by people within our church? I think all those things can happen when we make the same mistake that my friend with the surfboard made when we forget what the church was made for. We forget that God has a purpose for God's church. And worse than just forgetting, it happens that when with our words and our thoughts and our actions, we reshape and redirect and redefine God's purposes for God's church. 
And so these last few weeks, as I've been thinking on Revelation 7 and praying, I've asked that God, that He would help me to see the ways that I personally do that and what I need to repent of. And I want to share three of them with you. And I wonder if you can see yourself in any of these. Number one, self-entitlement. This is the first way that I malign God's purpose for God's church. Self-entitlement. And I know I do this because I know what's in my heart and on my mind, what I think I deserve when I walk into a church gathering. And it's not good. I, I think that I deserve to see things done the way I like to see them done. I, I think and I act as if, well, I deserve to have people who are just like me here. And sometimes I even think I deserve to be critical and judgmental of my brothers and sisters here. And every time I walk into church like that, I leave no room at all for glorious diversity because I'm just too occupied thinking about what I want. So that's number one. Number two, the second way I redirect God's purpose for God's church, self-glory. And I know I do this because I know how much my ego is wounded and frustrated when I don't feel useful and affirmed and noticed and liked. I can be so invested in self-glory and bringing glory to myself that at the end of the week, when my head hits the pillow on a Sunday night and I think about all the interactions I've had with people, I do an awful thing where I lie there and I just think, do they think, does that person think better of me now or worse of me now? Oh, I don't know. And I just analyse that. It's all I leave no room when I do that for glorious unity because I'm just too busy making it about me and my glory. So that's number two. Number three, self-preservation. I know I do this because I, I dodge and I duck and dive and dip away from any possibility of suffering. <laughs> And this, what this looks like normally is when I see a need in someone's life or I hear about it at church. Maybe it's someone that just needs a friend, a conversation, time, money, whatever it is. And I hear about it and my first thought is this. Someone else will probably do it. Or someone else should do it. I, I, just, I mean, it could get messy if I get involved because like, that person's got issues, you know, and, and then I justify it and I go, well, Tim, you know that you've got heaps of issues, so, so you've got enough to worry about, mate, so maybe just stay clear of the whole thing. Someone else will do it. When I do that, every time, I leave not even the slightest possibility of discomfort or, or, or faithfulness in suffering that would make God look glorious. So there's three for me, three things that I know I do that I've had to repent of, that I've been forgiven for and I'm working on, and I'm pretty confident that I'm going to need to repent again and I'm going to need to be forgiven again and try again. But we all sin in special and unique ways, so maybe you're different. But if you're part of our family here at BACK, would you think on that this week? Would you reflect on that? 
Would you pray and ask God to help you see what those ways are that you might be doing that? Would we help one another in that? Would we reflect and repent and seek forgiveness and then just get on doing what the church was made to do, to glorify God? Wouldn't that be glorious? But if you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian, the bigger issue for you is that you're not yet part of that glorious multitude around the throne. That's, that's the bigger issue. And so I want to ask, do you want to be? Do you want to be? Because uh, do you want to move from being a, a spectator and just looking to actually becoming family? Because if you do, there is, there is room for you here. There's room for you here. There's, there's not room on the throne. That's occupied. That's not possible. But there's room for you here to come alongside us, to join us in what the church was made to do, and in fact, what you were made to do, which is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So if that's you, please, please let us know. We'd love to help you with that. But for now, let's, let's close by praying. Father in heaven, you are on the throne and you do deserve all glory. And we are sorry for the ways that we meddle with your purposes for your church. But we thank you for what you've shown us tonight from your word. Would you capture our hearts and our minds with your glory, both now and forever. Amen.